Hello and welcome to R plus J equals podcast. I'm your host, Joe Gatula, and of course with me is my lovely wife, my co-host, Regina. Hello. So, what an episode. Yes, but first I want to pre-apologize because I have a sore throat, so you will most likely hear a lot of coughing from me. It's from yelling and screaming all (laughs) during that episode, right? We're talking about episode four, The Spoils of War of season, uh, season seven. Yep, so... This was a great episode, probably one of the best episodes, but not to be a Debbie Downer. I do want to go on a little rant Uh and get it over with before we start talking about all the great things in this episode. So I want to rant about John and Danny. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because, and we'll talk about the cave scene, but the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I'm not sure how many people watch the inside the episode with the showrunners. Yep, it's it always airs after the actual episode. Yep. So um, during the cave scene, when I was watching it the first time, I thought it was a really good scene. I really liked how they showed kind of the history of the drawings. It reminded me of, obviously, they don't have history books to look at. So what they're witnessing is essentially history. So I thought that was really cool. And I thought that showing Danny these White Walkers pictured in these drawings kind of makes it a little bit more real for her. She's just not hearing it from John or Davos. It's actually written down in a cave. But as I was watching it, I didn't really notice any chemistry between John and Danny. I just thought John was all gloom and doom, which we'll get to later. But he's always like, the White Walkers are coming. He just came off a little bit creepy just because he was doom and gloom in a very dark cave. But after watching that scene and then watching the inside episode... I I thought he was a tiny bit like... It was... They were very close and they did step together and he did grab her arm to lead her torch right right but that's just grabbing someone's arm leading someone through a dark cave okay okay all right fair so i didn't really feel anything when i watched it between the two of them the chemistry or anything like that but what i want to rant about is when i watched the inside of the episode one of the showrunners i believe it's daniel benioff he says blatantly that there's supposed to be this attraction between them two. And it's not anything written in the dialogue. It's just the heat of the moment in really close quarters in the cave. Exactly. That's what he said. And it just completely grossed me out. Because not grossed me out in the way that I saw a lot of feces or we saw <laughs> Jorah get Grey Worm removed from his skin. It grossed me Grayscale. out. Or sorry, grayscale. It grossed me out because... Their aunt and nephew and the incest and the yeah. the idea of them getting together bothers the hell out of me. And I don't want to admit it, but I'm going to admit it anyways. I feel like it overshadowed the episode for me because I just think it's disgusting. I feel like I want to use this podcast to find therapeutic ways to help me get over it and talk about it. So 
can you help me, Joe? Yeah. Um, if this does happen, and the reason why I'm so set on is because it's actually coming from the writer of the episode. Yeah. So uh, help me. So I need a therapy session. It's it does feel a little Luke and Leia. Um, I'm not for it either. I don't really want to see this happen, but if it does happen, let's just take a look at the history of okay. Game of Thrones let's and the do it. history of Westeros. The Targaryens have it in their history, right? They always marry their siblings or their, I don't know what, usually it's sisters. But it stopped so, with Rhaegar. He didn't marry his siblings. Yeah, but I'm just saying that there is a history of interbreeding, whatever, incest, mm-hmm. incestuous relationships with the Targaryens. Okay. So that's the first precedent for Game of Thrones for this. And then uh, it, it is, it's weird to talk about, of course, but like a lot of the stigma for, I guess, incest, maybe it comes from like when we see it with Jamie and Cersei, mm-hmm. we're like, oh, that is so fucking gross. Right. And it's like they grew up together and they've been around each other since the beginning and it's like They disgusting. were in the womb together. Let's say the one of the ways that maybe we can mentally get around it is John and Danny don't know, right? Mm-hmm. They don't know that they're related. They don't know. And not only that, Danny didn't even know her brother, who mm-hmm. is John's dad. Mm-hmm. Danny doesn't even think that Rhaegar had a son. Mm-hmm. So maybe. Or Rhaegar's children were killed though, yeah. by the mountain. Yeah. Um,. I don't know if that's enough of a thing to, to be therapeutic or so, cathartic for you, but those are, I guess, logic and rationale as so to why lo- it might happen. So my logic is fighting that because, A, like it stopped with Rhaegar. And then, B, B with Jamie and Cersei, it's such a negative thing for them to be in a relationship. And I yeah. think from season one to now – being in a sensuous relation is frowned upon and looked down upon. Yeah. So the idea that but the bef- writers, though, will take these two beloved characters that people like and people are rooting for and make them do yeah. essentially the same thing that Jamie and Cersei are doing that we've lo- all looked down upon, I think it would just ruin the characters well, and ruin it for me. The- it just it makes me feel angry. Yeah, well, the thing is, you can't assume that this came from the showrunners. Jo- uh, George R. R. Martin, he said this stemmed, the whole story, it stems from different things, but one of those things includes medieval times. And we did mm-hmm. see this type of thing, interbreeding and intermarriage within the crown um, in the medieval times. Mm-hmm. So that's another precedent that's set for this. Um, so maybe that will maybe help me feel better that, this isn't something that HBO or the writers are doing just to have romance, just to have two very no. attractive people get together. And I have. think it would have always been in the plan. I don't think actively HBO would be like, "Hey, let's let's make John let's do and Danny." So I, if it comes from George R. R. Martin, which if you guys listen to the first or two podcasts, I do like the books a lot. Yeah. So if it's something that has to do with the overall plot and end goal. So, and George R. R. Martin is putting these two people together and he communicated this to the showrunners. That makes me feel a little bit better that they're not just doing it to have romance. And in the shock show. factor. Well, so think about this. 
the show has all the show and the books have always been there to subvert traditional storytelling tropes subvert like hollywood style or cliches Mm -hmm. and thus this whole time we've been seeing jamie and cersei get together and we've been completely disgusted by it so maybe in the world of game of thrones and in standing with the themes of Game of Thrones and in subverting like all the, your expectations of what a normal story is supposed to be like, it's like, hey, you hated Jamie and Cersei half because they were incestuous and disgusting. What if we make your the two heroes of this story so you're, the same he's way? So he's trying to like, apply realism. Yeah, so he's like, you you shouldn't judge people just based on that stuff. But I just find it a little bit hypocritical because well, hi, why the, is- the writer of the books and the show all make the audience feel a negative emotion towards Jamie and Cersei, partly because they are bad, but, but partly it's not because... Hypo- it's, not a, it's not hypocritical because th- that he was doing that purposefully. He is purposefully putting Jamie and Cersei in that situation so you'd feel disgusted by it, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing that he was going to... Knowing that the writers were going to flip this at the last second and to, put it to, to make you-, you question yourself, to well, make I- you question your beliefs... Well, obviously, none of us believe in incest, <laughs> but to make you question the way that you judge characters and people in this show. And the last piece here is logically, it makes sense for these two to get together in terms of like a marriage or an mm-hmm. alliance because we saw at the end of last season, Daenerys is like, you never know, I'm gonna, I might have to get married to someone. I do agree with that in the sense that he's king in the north, so he has a north. Yeah. She'll probably win the south at this point so if they do have this alliance they don't essentially john doesn't have to bend the knee yeah i just don't i fine they can get married i just don't want them to essentially consummate the marriage or have (laughs) any feelings towards each other my other rant about this is that they both had very tragic relationships daenerys lost Khal Drogo, who i believe she learned to love and is her one true love at Mm -hmm. the very end of the day john lost egret and that is essentially his one true love if you go back to season five when melisandre opened up her dress and showed her boobs she basically was like the dead don't care about love and he's like i know but i still love her so i think egret will always have john's heart through death and life and call drago always have daenerys's heart so that's why I'm still a little confused. Like, are they going to even fall? Like, I don't think I just, it'll be their aunt and nephew people. It won't be. A, it won't be like a fairy tale love type relationship. It'll be like probably because they're aunt and nephew. Yeah. <laughs> no, just do away with that. In general, we know that both of them love the people who died, right? Clearly, mm-hmm. she loves Khal Drogo. He loves Egret, and I think at the end of the day, they'll probably just if they do come together, it'll be because of how mutually beneficial it's going to be. <sighs> Maybe, yeah, they're strange, I think I need strangely to... attracted to each other. Yeah, I think but... I just need to talk about this with lots of people. And you know, I actually was yeah, researching I mean... a few articles this morning of people out there really like it, and people like it. Yeah. People we, like I, them together. I talked to a bunch of people too, and everybody's like, you know what? That's how it is in Game of Thrones. It's and, shocking. and that was surprising to me, but that just shows that there won't be maybe there will be backlash once it actually happens and it could end up being the butt of the jokes in terms of game of thrones and that's another thing game of thrones is always going to be about incest well before this is about tits and dragons so who gives a fuck <laughs> right it's a fantasy I don't know. show 
I think the difference with the Luke and Leia thing is that when we well, that witnessed that, we didn't. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't purposeful. But he made up when, that story as he went. So. When we witnessed it, the audience didn't know that they were brother and sister, but the audience member knows that they're yeah. aunt and nephew. So it just makes me uncomfortable to watch. But I think that's the point. Game of Thrones has always been out there to make you uncomfortable, right? And it's interesting that you're saying that it's going to make the me theme. question because now I'm going to. Not really, of course I'm going to root for them, and of course they're two of my favorite characters, but if they do come together, if what the writer says is true and laying out the little seeds for it to come together, I just feel like I won't love them as much as I did. I think it'll ruin the characters for me. I'm making a bold statement out there. I think it'll ruin the characters for me. And maybe I'm being a little bit overdramatic. I think it might ruin the show for me. Well, the thing is, this show isn't out there to make your typical hero or heroine. Like, it's not... Yeah, but I thought people would just die, not have an incestuous relationship. But Game of Thrones has never been about pure good and pure evil. Everybody's flawed, right? Right. And that's what makes it good TV. I'm not right. saying incest makes a good TV, but that's what the show... The show was never going to be, become like Lord of the Rings or any superhero thing where, yeah, the good guy's perfect and the good guy's this. Yeah, I just the, didn't... Game of Thrones is literally the opposite of that. I just The didn't, good guys don't win. I just didn't think the story is leading to an incestuous relationship between two people because it's just so frowned upon. Well, so I get what I keep. I know we're going in circles, and this is why I need a therapy session about it. But it's just if it happens, it bothers me. If it doesn't happen, I'll be the happiest person ever. Look, at the end of the day, it might not matter because if they lose and everybody's dead, who cares, right? Okay, little finger. (laughs) You have to do what you have to do to, including your aunt, I guess, (laughs) to kill the White Walkers. Yeah. Or else the whole world's destroyed. I do think if they do get together, they're they're not they're they don't know that they're related. Yeah. If any it's not gonna I, be I like they find out. So at least And then John's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah so no, at least they I don't think that'll happen. That and maybe I'll try to make myself feel better over the next couple of days that I'm gonna say, This is what George R. R. Martin wants. This is what George R. R. Martin wants. Well there has to be more But to why them does that make it okay? <laughs> because I think there's more from a creative standpoint I think there's more of a reason and rationale as to why these two are getting together versus right now I'm so focused on the writer of the show just doing it to just because they need romance. So this goes into your whole thing with the showrunners versus George R.R. Martin. What if, hypothetically, we see that this is something that they kind of just made up on their own, Mm -hmm. but then at the end of the day, George also did it in his books? So well, the so, writers came up with it first and then yeah. George? Well, how would you feel about I don't think so because I think George already has his major plot points, all the all of the secrets that he has. I think he already has it laid out. So that's what I'm saying. This we, isn't thing- for if this this isn't just something on the side. The reason why this is happening to two major beloved characters and if it does happen is because there has to be more to it. Yeah, 100% there has to be more to it. But I've talked to you a lot about this in terms of divorcing yourself from putting George on this different plane as the showrunners. Because number the showrunners, yeah, they have their own flaws, but they have their own 
like they can they get things done they they choreograph great battles but what's and, the point of this well relationship we, we don't know it, it hasn't even happened it hasn't Will even it happen? happened so that's why maybe we shouldn't spend so much time on it well but I, I just I, need a rant about it because it's think very probably, cathartic for me. I think a topic that both you and I need to discuss at the end of the season is this feud you personally have against the showrunners. Yeah, I disagree with a lot of the storytelling things that they do, but just because George wrote it doesn't make it a good thing. Because George wrote plenty of terrible, stupid things in the book. He books. did, but he wrote a lot of cool things like Hodor, and that came exactly straight from George. So something that creative, there has to be a reason why John and Danny, they're laying the groundwork for this. It, it cannot okay. come from the showrunners. So my example is the showrunners chose to get Sansa raped leading to this moment to who Sansa is now. Mm-hmm. That isn't in the books. and I don't, Yet. I don't care if you say yet. I, I don't mean to be <coughs> argumentative, but... It's straight up just not in the books, and that's not how it is, and that's not going to be how it is in the way that this comes to life. I, I don't think Littlefinger's well, going to go up to Ramsay Bolton because <clears throat> they're nowhere close. <clears throat> and would you say the way Sansa came to life now has been good? Wow. D- divorce your <laughs> thoughts away from, hey, they did they raped Sansa who didn't get raped in the books. Which I think... The, like, get rid of those thoughts. Mm-hmm. Do you think Sansa's arc has been good up to this point? Yes, Because Sansa's arc is mainly showrunners, I'd say. Yes, I agree with that point. And maybe I just remember my feeling about season five when she agreed to ra- uh, marry Ramsay Bolton. I thought, she, she this isn't going to happen. Stannis is going to come before. It's not going to happen. And it happened. Yeah. And then same with Shireen getting burned alive. Oh, this isn't going to happen. Oh, but then it happened. Yeah. So, so I get what you're saying. I just, I'm just preparing myself yeah, if it does happen so that when and if it does happen, like the writer is hinting at, then I am, I just need to be prepared. And I know there's also a lot of people out there saying, oh, this isn't going to happen. They're just doing it. I just yeah. want to be prepared on both ends because I don't want to disregard it and then it happened and then it just pissed me off well the thing is what i'm trying to get at is number one if this was a showrunner thing and you called it and it we considered it stupid that's the same thing as if george did it like you should consider like if it was george's original plan to have them have an incestuous relationship you shouldn't have a different opinion about that, whereas if it was the showrunner's plan to have them have an incestuous opinion. Well, maybe because I hold, because a, high, I hold a higher respect for George, not, be, not because he is a great, like the greatest writer or can finish a book in time. I have it because it, it's coming from him. This is his story. So essentially, he's the law of the land. So if this was his anymore. intent, if this was his intent, then... There has to be a strong reason for it. And I know George tries to bring realism to the story, especially with how women are treated and rape and war and all of that. So in medieval times, I get that there is a lot of incest, but I just think he also set it up where it was frowned upon and now he might do it to two characters. But he's done that his whole... Yep. Not only has the show done that, the book has done it. Set up something, subvert it. Yeah. That's the show. And All right. it's something we may or may not have to accept. Well, well, I guess we'll, we'll have three more hours to watch. Yeah. 
But um, we only have a few minutes on this podcast, yes. so we can move on. Sorry that we officially spent 20 minutes on incest. Um, <laughs> but let's move on to the second thing we'd like to discuss about the episode. Arya's return to Winterfell and the overall Stark reunion. Yes. It was I, great. Yeah, I was actually shocked because I never thought this was going to happen. I thought she was going to have a little side journey through the Riverlands, meet up with the Hound. Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. So it was good. It was interesting with her and Sansa I'd say, reunion. Yeah, the the great thing I saw in terms of the Sansa Arya reunion, it wasn't a storybook reunion. They were a little bit icy towards each other. It was a little bit hesitant, but you could still see that there was affection there. But what really made it for me was at first the first embrace that Sansa hugged Arya. Arya wasn't really into it. Then they mm-hmm. started talking a little bit more. And then Arya broke. She's mm-hmm. like, and then she just grabbed her and hugged her. Mm-hmm. That was a really cool way of portraying it, how they always had an icy relationship. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, they're both Starks. Right. right. And they both went through a lot and they're both sisters. Yeah. Do you think they'll tell each other their stories and their journey? No, because they were never that close. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think so. Okay. Um, well, and, obviously Bran knows. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Bran's a different story. Let's talk about Bran in terms of the overall reunion. Uh, one thing I wanted to point out that we talked about. Bran, this whole time, he's been his regular old Bran2D2 robot <laughs> self, right? He is like... Alexa Bran. A, a good shout out to Sibby. He said Bran is a lot like Dr. Manhattan from mm-hmm. The Watchmen because he is all-seeing, all-knowing, omnipotent, and emotions don't matter because if you have memories that span thousands and thousands of years, what's the point of one minute, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the cool thing that I noticed about Bran this episode is this is the first time he actually made an action. He mm-hmm. took the dagger from mm-hmm. Littlefinger, which, shout out to Bran with his chaos is a ladder. That was Holy awesome. Shit. Even just the directing, the close-up yep. between their faces yeah. versus just showing them two talking was great directing. Yeah. So Bran, one of the first actual actions he's done in Winterfell, he took the dagger from uh, Littlefinger, which is, he he said straight up to his sisters, he's like, why do I need this? I'm a cripple. Right. Why didn't he just say that to Littlefinger? And mm-hmm. then he purposefully gave it to Arya. My thoughts are maybe he knows that the dagger does something. Maybe it's used I, somewhere. I think he also knows whose dagger that is. I, yeah. I think there people are still trying to figure out the answer to that question of who hired the cutthroat. My yeah. thought, it was answered that it was Littlefinger, yeah. but I don't think it was clear cut. So the way that Bran was looking at his Littlefinger, he basically... I think in my head knows his entire plan and knows everything he did to his father in the past and all of his intentions. Yeah. So him accepting the dagger and giving it to Arya means that that dagger is going to be used in some, in some way against yeah. a major character. So one thing somebody pointed out to me, take a look at Bran's face as Arya accepts the dagger. Okay. He seems surprised. Really? So why would he be surprised if he's all-seeing? Maybe in the vision he sees a person use the dagger, and it's not Arya. That's interesting. Little does 
But Bran should know she steals faces. Yeah, but he's still learning through the fragments. I'm, he doesn't know everything. He, he doesn't. He doesn't have all of these. I'm curious, does Bran know that she killed the entire fray line, or is he still analyzing that information? I think he was looking up the recipe of the pot. <laughs> uh, and he's like, yeah. wait, I told this story yeah. back in season three about the rat cook. The last thing about the return to Winterfell, um, Brienne versus Arya, that showdown. Yeah. What a great scene. That was awesome. Super badass. I think for me, this was the first time that we really got to see Arya fight as a badass. I actually hated in season five her training with the waif. I I think it was boring and useless. I think the first time we really saw it was when she killed Marin Tramp, but that was very quick. It wasn't one-on-one combat. She was just basically murdering him and gouging out his eyes. So this, for me, was really cool to watch them actually fight, to see her skills. She's very agile. She's very quick. So going against someone as, I guess, tall and large as Brienne shows that she definitely can take people down yeah one of the even though she comes in a small size yeah one of the things about that scene for me that was most impressive was the choreography because game of thrones is not well known for its hand-to-hand combat Mm -hmm. in terms of choreography well i think the hound and brienne was yeah so that's the thing hound and brienne uh oberyn versus the mountain but that came from the books (laughs) no no in terms of actual visual choreography Okay. okay in terms of a fight scene Game of Thrones doesn't really have that down that well. Um, Jamie's supposed to be, even before, Jamie was supposed to be like the the best swordsman in the mm-hmm. world. And when he fought Ned Stark, it looked like a bunch of actors Dude, trying to play. Sean swords. Bean, though, was a good fighter. Yeah. Because well, he's Boromir. <laughs> yeah. So the fact that the choreography was really cool and like the little knife tricks that Arya was mm-hmm. doing and like the, the kip up she did from when she was on the ground, right. those were really, really cool moments in. That overall fight scene, and I hope we, we get really, to see really more happy. moments from her and have her sure fight like that. I think what was interesting that scene, the look that she gave Littlefinger at yeah. the end, so that means she definitely has her eyes on him, which makes me feel better because I think for Bran and yeah. Arya came back, he was kind of running around free. Now he's on edge. So let's talk so. about the looks in that that mm-hmm. scene. First off, I know we read this. This look differently. Sansa's face and reaction when she's watching Brienne and Arya fight. Yes. Yeah, so. I actually read it as sort of jealousy. Mm-hmm. I, that's what I saw it as, as her being upset and jealous that, like, whether it's Arya was this powerful or something mm-hmm. like that. I don't know if I misread it, but I know some other people read it that I way. I actually read it has, um, in that she realizes that Arya is truly a murderer and truly has changed because if you watch... She's upset, the, right? And she's upset, or she's shocked. Yeah. If you watch this scene before that, when they actually reunite, Arya mentions a list, I'm going to murder these and people, she and she laughs. But then when Bran mentions it, she's like, okay, it could be real. But now she's actually witnessing Arya's skills. So she, in her head, is like, wow, my sister could be this murderer that she's yeah. been mentioning so i took it more as her being shocked i also think sansa after everything she's went through has been dreaming about reuniting with her family aside from a happy reunion that she had with john reuniting with bran and Arya has been been great but it's it's she it's not what she essentially imagined and expected because they both have changed so significantly that i think she's just taken aback 
by all of it. I think she misses John. She's like, where's John? He He's a normal one, and we weren't even that close well, growing she, up. She drove him away with her stupid politicking. Well, I don't think she drove him away. He went for the dragon glass. Yeah. So I think that's how I interpret it. I also want to just point out, she knows Littlefinger. Even when she found out Bran received the dagger from Littlefinger, she was like, why did he give that to you? He never gives anything for for free yeah so maybe she's also reacting that way to throw off Littlefinger because maybe she knows that Littlefinger is trying to drive her away from her siblings Mm -hmm. including John so I don't know if she's playing a game or if she's interpreting that way but that's how I took it all right so the last part that we wanted to talk about the best part is the loot train battle. First off, I think the name of this battle is kind of like we have Hardhome, we have the Battle of the Bastards. Like really cool name. Blackwater. Names. Blackwater. And then you get the loot train battle. Yeah. It sounds like a video game. Like get on the loot train. Sounds yeah. like a cell phone game. But with that said, easily in the top three of battle sequences, at this point I've watched Battle of the Bastards. Yeah, the first time the intensity was ridiculous. The emotion was the emotion there. was ridiculous. But in terms of actual optics and visuals, it, I still love Hard Home. Mm-hmm. But then I have to put the Loot Train battle really, really close to Hard Home just because of things that we've never seen. Yes. Are you saying Hard Home is better than the Battle of the Bastards? I think Hard Home is still better than the Battle of the Bastards. Wow. In terms of a battle. Because Battle of the Bastards, while it's still humans versus humans and i've seen many many a movies like that the i'd say the most unique stuff about battle of the bastards are kind of that formation they made and the big mountain it's very dynamic yeah the big mountain of of corpses that john had to go through but the things that hard home and loot train battle have are the supernatural elements of bringing something crazy out of this world into a world that's only seen medieval fighting like mm-hmm. The, the, the creators of the show had it right in how they described it. It's like bringing an F-16 fighter jet into a battle amongst medieval fighters. And that's, to me, what makes it more impressive, more exciting than Battle of the Bastards over just the emotion and intensity of Battle of the Bastards. It's so funny how you watch battles versus how yeah. I watch battles because you watch it for like you just described, the dynamics and all that. I watch it because of the emotion and the reaction to the characters. Well, one of my favorite things about this battle is the Dothraki standing on their horses. I think that, for me, aside from the dragon burning down everything, is the most memorable portion of this battle, even though it was a quick few seconds. Because I think we've all been hearing about the Dothraki and their skills in the battlefield on horses but we finally get to witness it after yeah. so long so yeah, Robert Baratheon really, called it out right? Robert Baratheon called it out in season one um never so, fight Dothraki in an open an field. open They'll field crush you exactly so I think it was really cool to watch because it really just added credibility yeah. every time I'm like oh Danny has a horde of Dothraki I don't really imagine anything. I just imagine these guys on horses. But now I can actually see why, what they can do do and their talent. So that was really awesome to watch. And also, Jamie's overall reaction to just seeing the dragons. Again, I think for the past six, seven seasons, you know, we've been seeing, hearing characters say the White Walkers are coming to other major characters. 
and then they're just talking about it. Or we just see one major character saying, Daenerys has three dragons. But we don't get to see a major character actually see it, aside from Jon seeing it last week, and Tyrion, of course. But we finally got to see Jaime see it so he actually now believes it and sees what a dragon could do is essentially a massacre and she only had one dragon Mm -hmm. imagine if she had the two other dragons with her just it was it was definitely one-sided um except for the crossbow the scorpion the scorpion get over here so i with this battle aside from Scorpion, was very conflicted. There are multiple things I liked about this battle. One was how I felt during it. Like, I really actually like Bronn. Yeah, yeah. And this is something only Game of Thrones can do. They've had the ability to take all these separate characters, build them up slowly but surely over six years, Mm -hmm. and finally bring them to a point where people on both sides, you like people from both sides, and you see them fighting head to head and it's like you don't know how to feel yeah because previously it was always you knew who you're rooting for in these battles but now like ramsey i was cheering for ramsey (laughs) (laughs) you're cheering for the white walkers yeah well we all know that one (laughs) so with braun even though you know he's not like one of my favorite characters in the show i still i still was like oh i'm gonna be sad if he dies but I was like, well, he's fighting for the wrong side. So if he dies, I want him to die a good death. I want him to die in a really cool one-on-one fight with the Dothraki, which I thought was going to happen, or get burned by Drogon, which he didn't. So it was surprising. But I did feel a little bit conflicted. Yeah, I know I hate Jaime Lannister, but it's not like a Ramsay Bolton character or a Cersei character where you want to see these characters die a terrible death. So even with Jaime, I was like, oh, I hate you, Jamie, but, like, I'm so glad you're seeing all this, and I feel, yeah, this is for Elena Tyrell, <laughs> but do I hate you enough to see you get burned by a dragon? No, I don't. So it was kind of aligning to how I feel like Tyrion's face was yeah. when he was witnessing it because he's witnessing all of these Lannister soldiers get burned alive, essentially. Yep. And he knows he's already committed to Daenerys, but I'm sure it was still hard for him to yeah. see his family army get massacred and witnessing his brother potentially dying. He's not going to turn on Daenerys, but it was still conflicting for him. And I liked that contribution to the emotion in this battle. I love the fact that Tyrion was placed in this. Two things about Tyrion. We know that originally Danny wanted to go straight to the Red Keep and destroy and melt the castle, right? So we know it was Tyrion's plan. He's like, hey, you can still use your dragons, but you don't have to kill everybody. Just go to the back of the Right, because they still got some of the food away. they still did what they needed to do. So she didn't destroy all of the food. And then the second thing is, I love that Tyrion was placed there kind of to represent the audience to mm-hmm. represent how the audience is feeling emotionally mm-hmm. in that scene like everybody watching that scene is saying to themselves jamie what the fuck are you doing just run away yeah like what what the trogon is right next Tyrion to you. is literally saying what we're all saying in our right. heads and Tyrion is also feeling the emotions of like hey it's great that we're winning this battle but look how fucking horrible yes. this is i right? mean i've been he's say- the perfect avatar for 
all of the audience, and that's something that Game of Thrones did really well in this. Yeah, I mean, I was, I've been saying I want Daenerys to just take a dragon and burn everything down. So I was really happy when she actually did it. Yeah. But I didn't realize how, how horrifying it, it is. Horrifying it is, but also how I would feel because it's yeah. like, okay, I don't hate everybody, and it's just kind of it was like an epiphany. Even last week when. It was the Tyrells against Lannisters. I hated the Lannisters. I hated that they beat the Tyrells and killed Olenna yep. Tyrell. But now, when they were getting massacred by Daenerys and Drogon, it was okay. Yeah. I don't feel the same way. So it was interesting. The showrunners definitely have a few things up their sleeve and yeah. seems well, to surprise us. I think this season, they've... For me personally, they've surprised me a mm. lot. I most of my predictions haven't been coming true. Um, Cersei didn't get just stomped really quickly, and it's been fun and exciting. And I'm glad that they still have it in them to s- continually surprise us. I was. It's not pr- as predictable yeah. as we thought. And I'm actually even with the scorpion because I thought they were gonna s- save that stupid yeah, for the weapon last for the last battle and. Daenerys was going to be was so gonna shocked be some by it. And it was going to be cheap thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. So the fact that they they brought it and they shot Drogon, which freaked me out. Yeah. I was very upset, but he didn't die. I'm glad now at least Daenerys and Tyrion know about it. And they so, can prep. And it also shows to Danny because she's always been saying, I'm just going to take my dragons. But now I hope she realizes yeah. that her dragons are somewhat vulnerable so she can't just she needs to use them more strategically yeah so i'm glad that it happened in the sense that okay Tyrion and danny now know about these arrows so hopefully they'll find a way to to combat that Mm -hmm. and be careful with the dragons so i mean we love the episode Mm -hmm. we love the battle sequence and i think that's that for that right yeah, I mean, I think it was one of the best battles that we witnessed. And I, I want to go watch it again. I think it's a top five episode. <laughs> yeah. For sure. So with that said, uh, it is now time for everybody's favorite segment. Did you send the ravens? That was your job. Your only job. Send the raven. So we got a bunch of questions again today, and we're, once again, always very, very thankful for everybody's support. I think this is the highest number of questions we got. Yeah, a little bit. A couple more jokey ones, a couple more (laughs) quick answer ones. But, yeah, I think we had, like, 26 or so, which is an awesome showing. So we'll start first with Sibby Eilor. A real simple question with the cliffhanger at the end of the episode. Is Jamie dead? No. No. So I did not... I did not see this as Jamie dying. I know a lot of other people were like, oh, God, Jamie died. But he didn't die. Too easy. I think also, sorry to talk about the books again. It's kind of like how the writer ends a few of his chapters faking out deaths. Yeah. So this was totally a fake out for me. I think he's drowning, but someone's going to pull him out. Yeah. I think it's covered in one of the later questions, too. Uh, but we'll reiterate it later on. Uh, Braun doesn't wear armor. We know that he is always a lightweight fighter. He wears leather usually, so we don't think he's sunk. He'll probably rescue. Yeah, and I don't think Jamie's going to die yeah. that way. Jamie no, needs on, to die be... a more poetic yeah, death. totally. So there's no way he just dies by yeah. drowning. So The next question, also from Sibi Ayalar, which has a quick answer. Question for the podcast, is the Iron Bank now going to tell Cersei 
Uh, mm. She has insufficient funds. No, because they did point out, if you rewatch the episode, the gold was successfully delivered yep. to the Red, red Keep. To so the, uh, the this community. is one thing that I know a lot of people have t- uh, problems with is the timeline. So in one episode, you're watching different points in time. Yeah. So in the beginning of the episode... When Jamie and Tarly are all gathering all the Mr. food and Mr. talking, Mr. Tarly, Mr. Tarly, are no, that's that's Mace Tyrell. Mr. Tarly's Mace Tyrell are gathering the food and telling that we need to maybe motivate the farmers. Yeah. That could have been two weeks before yeah. Daenerys came with her dragon. So it's different points of time within one hour episode. Yeah. So they, they showcase time basically. You see the the High Garden Castle in that mm-hmm. first scene and then by the last scene where they're getting attacked by the dragon, High Garden is nowhere in sight. They're in a completely different place and they're saying that the the head of the army has already started to reach there. We need to round up the stragglers right. on the back end to get them there or else we're really screwed. And so that means you know they're closer to King's Landing. So, right. Yeah, that's at the tail end of there. So no, no insufficient funds there. No, um, which sucks because I wish fees or anything. Like I that. wish Daenerys destroyed the gold too. Yeah. But oh well. Yeah. Next question from Rena Eilor. Why didn't Danny take some fighting mm-hmm. lessons from Grey Worm? If she's going to be on a battlefield, she should learn how to use a sword. Backup plan in case something happens to her dragons. I actually agree because Daenerys without her dragons can't do shit. Yeah. She basically can't defend herself. And I know she's supposed to be a queen and queenly and all of that. But yeah, she did just stand there when Jamie was charging at her. I mean, I know she has Drogon and Drogon can sense her and they have a connection. But what if something happens with Drogon? I mean, we've seen time and time again that Danny's pretty cocky, right? Yep. And this is probably one of the reasons why she's like i have no need for that i have dragons so that's that's the reason maybe john will teach her how to use his sword that's awkward (laughs) do you mean ice or his his ice sword Uh, all right richard harvey asks three quick questions where is gendry where is ghost and where is cold hands all right I'll go first. Gendry is uh, rowing, but he actually got all the way around, and he's at the back end of Essos. He's like on the other east side. Really? Yeah. He, he Are was, you Brad? He sailed across the world, so he's actually in Volantis, like doing some stupid shit over there. That's, oh, that sounds like what. a very interesting plot. I hope they bring it no. in the last three episodes. So, where do you think Gendry is? I think Gendry is still rowing and i think he's just hanging out in king's landing and maybe i should just ask bran bran where is gendry <laughs> all right where is ghost rena eilor asked this as well and for me personally i'm not answering any more where's ghost questions <laughs> i think we get this question every week yeah. i think ghost and nymeria are hooking up since you know we're all about this accepting of incestu- incestuous relationships. So, yeah, I think Ghost went to go find some Nymeria, get some action, and then come back to Winterfell to sulk a little bit more, yeah. like John. The one of these. Like owner, like Direwolf. Uh, the one of these questions that I will take seriously is where's Cold Hands? Who knows? Maybe he'll show up to the East Watch and say, hey, they're coming. Okay. Maybe, or he'll fight, fight there. That'd be cool. That would be right? cool. Part of the all-star team who, who fights off. And John will finally get to see Benjen again. Uncle, Uncle Benjen. 
Yeah. You know, he died because he thought he could see Benjamin again. So he's gonna blame him for that. Hopefully, John gets his little reunion. Cool. Thanks for the questions, Rich. Uh, Tony Manorino asks, based, basically, mm-hmm. what we discussed earlier: Why was Braun sinking into the water when he wasn't wearing metal armor? Watch it again. He's wearing leather armor. Um, maybe that was just the momentum. Uh, he he didn't seem to be sinking as quickly as Jamie to me. So. I didn't even see Braun sinking. All I remember is Braun just catching Jamie and then Jamie falling. Yeah, into the water. if we rewatch the scene, he's to the. I left. need to watch it in slow mo. I definitely think he's sinking slower, but let's just chalk that up into him. I think Braun's gonna save him. I don't see any other way of it happening. Next question, also from Rich Harvey: How long before Braun and the Poison Sandsake find each other again? Um, you know, good girl, bad pussy. Yeah. Um. Well, well once she's Bronze dying dead, slowly of poison. Once they're, once they're both dead, they'll be in Game of Thrones heaven or hell, um, re-consummating their marriage or whatever. They're going to get married. Anyways. Well, at least that's not incest. <laughs> Davy Gamblin says... Davy? Davy, yeah. Good old <laughs> Davos Gamblin. He says, is money more important than dragons? Now that Cersei has paid the debt to the Iron Bank... They're firmly vested only in her victory. Since Danny only has dragons in the Dothraki and no fleet or money or allies, do you think that will outweigh the impact of an arcane and powerful institution like the Iron Bank? I was actually thinking that once the money comes back to King's Landing, mm-hmm. the Iron Bank will be like, we still don't have faith in you because we saw what these dragons can do. Mm-hmm. So I think they'll choose either to not invest in Cersei after this, or they'll choose to reverse and invest in Danny. Or so, so she can get an army back. So then it'll be a, a true fight again. That's true. And if John and D- Danny do have a marriage alliance, the mm-hmm. Iron Bank will say, "Well, the North they yeah. have, I guess, money and That's true. investments." So do they have money? I I feel like they, they snow. are health. <laughs> I mean, I think they're just a healthy nation because they don't participate in anything. So I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting to see what the Iron Bank's reaction is going to be once they find out that part of the latest army got massacred and burned alive. Yeah. And then also part of them might turn based on next week's preview. Yeah. What What would a golden company be able to do against a, a dragon anyway? What would do more men... The only thing that I make arrows, make giant crossbows. Bone arrows, yeah. I loved how when they were shooting the arrows at Drogon, it didn't even affect yeah. him because of his no, scale. It was awesome and gratifying. It was like bullets hitting the Incredible Hulk. Exactly, it, it was great. Although I was worried about Daenerys, though. She needs to wear some type of armor. Look, Daenerys has armor. It's called plot armor. She's not going <laughs> to die from an arrow in season th- episode three. Of- we'll see. They're yeah. very subversive. That's true. Um, John Gatula has a question about Dickon. Dickon keeps appearing. Seeing as I haven't read the books, I don't know if he's in them. What sort of significance do you think he'll have? Also, do you think a Podrick, do you think Podrick has an arc coming up? He's constantly training, and we don't see improvement. That's true. <laughs> but I'm sure he could take on any normal soldier now, as the only time we <coughs> see him battling is getting smoked by Brienne. I wanted to see the dude kick some ass. So first off, with Dickon, I think he's comedic relief. Yeah, he's not I don't, in the books. I don't think he's going to contribute 
in a major way where he has a lasting effect on this no. story. I think he's I'm just... I'm surprised he didn't die this episode. Right. I think his brother, Sam, is way more important. Yeah. So I just think, yeah, he's comedic relief with his name, Dickon, Rickon, yeah. whatever. Um, sadly for me, I think Podrick's arc is him dying because he's a fan favorite and... There's you know, a, I think I've accepted right? it. I don't really see Podrick. I love Pod. He's hilarious. I, I think Pod's good. Pod We, we is call him Big Dick Pod. Big Dick Pod. He, he, takes place, uh, he takes care of those, those he, whores. He's kind of like Braun. It's yeah. like you like him, but then you're not so devoted to yeah. them like you were to maybe a Rob Stark yeah. or a Ned Stark. So, yeah, I think their story will be sad when they die, but it won't have a lasting emotional effect for me. Yeah. He does kick ass, though, in uh, the Battle of Blackwater. He, he did he kill that. He saves Tyrion. Yeah, and he, t- he did kill that one Bolton soldier when Sansa and Theon were yeah. running away. So, I mean, he's helped. All right, next question. Joe McNeely asks, who is going to pull Jamie from the water? We all already said it's probably I think Bron, it's going to be right? Bronn. Uh, he guesses that it's a Dothraki, and he'll be captain of a Tyrion. Um, I agree they they will be captured. There's no way they'll sneak away. They can't. Oh, I Do you mean, think I, they'll be able to sneak away from all Jamie's these guys Jamie's going to be a prisoner again. Yeah. So and that, Tyrion will get to talk to him. That would be interesting because I guess that would be a Tyrion-Jamie, how their relationship status is now. Yeah. Um, I I thought they would run away. Yeah. I thought they would sneak away. Um, I, I think... You know, Daenerys and Drogon will fly away. The Dothraki will leave, and they would be hiding in some bushes. And Jamie goes back to Cersei and says, "Yo, we're fucked." So, I mean, it will be interesting to see him captive and him and Tyrion reunite. I think it'll be an interesting dynamic. But who knows? Yeah, that's a uh, good thought. The next question from Joe is: Wasn't Littlefinger already on Arya's list? And I looked it up. And she is, he has never been on the list. Yeah. So really, the only person that has the capability of knowing what Littlefinger did to Ned Stark is Bran. Bran. Yeah. Because Arya and Sansa weren't yep. there to... Um, but I, You know what I want to ask, actually? It's a question maybe thinking about Littlefinger and Sansa and Arya. When Sansa and Arya reunited, mm-hmm. Arya told Sansa, Oh, I heard you killed Joffrey. And Sansa says, I wish I had. Don't you think Sansa would have told Arya that Littlefinger had a part in that? Because Sansa yeah. knows. So it's interesting that she kept that information. Maybe it wasn't the time yeah. and unnecessary dialogue, but that was just interesting because it's like, why is she yeah. withholding that information? I know Sansa has told John everything. Yeah. I firmly believe she has told him everything, but... Maybe he's the only one that's going to know everything that she knows and went through. So, anyways, it's just a thought. Um, The other thing about Arya and Littlefinger, even if he's not on the list, by the way that she looked at him, she looked like a Terminator. She's like, she's aimed at him. She's going to gun for him, and I hope so. Too bad. She, they don't have Catelyn's body because then she could have stole Catelyn's face. Okay, we don't get it. And then killed Littlefinger with her mother's oh, dead yeah. face. Okay. <laughs> Wouldn't that be poetic? Yeah. Oh. 
Too bad. Blake Friedman asks, how did Arya get so good at fighting? Seriously, I can suspend disbelief that she became a sneaky assassin, but when did she become a master swordsman comparable comparable to Brienne? So I think this is just like a miss in storytelling. I think they were trying to tell us through the waif and through the end season when she essentially ultimately kills the waif through that stupid ash chase scene. So I think this was maybe a good way to redeem themselves and say, okay, guys, I know we fucked up in season five and season six, but this is what we were essentially trying to show. Well, I mean, in the wave scene, she did cut out the candle. Maybe there was some cool Maybe she did that whole thing, that whole little bit in the dark. I don't know why they didn't just show us that part. Because that was one of the worst episodes of Game of Thrones. It was a horrible mistake. And I think, obviously, the way that Arya fights was she learned from the the no one yeah. folks. So um, I think it was just a way to redeem themselves on Arya's training. Next question from Gus Moreno. When will we get a 90-minute episode? I thought that's why the seasons were shortened. Um, the first three episodes, they were longer than the traditional episodes. This one was 50 minutes, which I believe is like three or four minutes under the standard, like 55 minutes. That was 57 minutes. Is that what's standard? For the first couple seasons? Yeah, 51 to 55. So the one thing, Gus, is they've already announced that the last two episodes are extended. I think the the second to last one is 71 minutes, and the last, the season finale is 82 minutes. So you're going to get your extended episodes in the final two weeks. I I heard in season eight, the last season, that the way that they're writing it, it looks like they're going to all be 90-minute episodes each which is great, but then there's only six episodes. But still equates to nine hours of TV. All right, Lilo Londoño has lots of questions here, three of them for us. Uh, First off, what is the significance of the dagger? I think we talked about this earlier. We don't know the significance of the dagger, but I think it's definitely going to play a major role in killing someone important. I'm hoping it kills Littlefinger. And also it's Valerian Steel, so maybe Arya will... Jo- you know, join the White Walker battle and kill a yeah. White Walker. That would be awesome. She can probably kill like four zombies like in five seconds because she's so oh, fast man. and they're so slow. Well, actually, they're now, pretty fast. I've already had flash forwards to what these these final battles are going to look like with the dragon, with the White Walkers, with all these soldiers with Valerian steel uh, swords. It's just going to look ridiculous. It's going to be interesting with the dragons and the White Walkers because in my head, I think if they're three major dragons, they can just fly over and burn everything. Yeah, but, but then the fire doesn't travel that high and that yeah. fast. So. so the only way we discussed this earlier today, the way that I can see a dragon dying is if it gets if it touches down and somehow a giant or tons of the White Walker, like the with, zombies. Like they did with Summer, Yeah, they climb onto it and basically stab it to death the one scary thing is can a dragon come back to life from the night king and and fight for the evil side who knows that'd be nuts that would be be insane insane. and will they breathe fire or they breathe ice who knows (laughs) like mr freeze get some dragon ball z style like fireball (laughs) fights in ice versus fire i know that would be pretty cool our favorite x-men movie x-men 3 the last stand Uh, never thought I'd hear X-Men the three yeah, reference. Yeah, please. All right, uh, Leo's next question. Why is Weirdo Brand so weird? We talked about this. He's Dr. Manhattan. He sees also what's the point. Yeah, and I, I think... But he, he did something. 
he 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 grabbed that that day. End of the question is he keeps saying he sees things yet he hasn't had a vision. Do something, Brand. I think Brand is still analyzing. He's still yeah. trying to figure out all of the visions that he's seen. Let's give him some time. Weirdo Brand is weird. He's Doctor Manhattan. He'd even give Mira. A oh, hug. Poor Mira. poor Mira. She didn't even change out of her clothes. I know. God. Everything she went through. And, you know, I think she made a good point. I think it answers it for everybody that Bran did die in that cave yeah. with Summer and Hodor. The way that I see it is that Bran died with his wolf. Yeah. So. Rest in peace, Summer. Always. Um, Leo's final question is, Arya, is Arya really Arya <laughs> or the many-faced god playing Arya? Um... I think, I think Arya is really Arya. I think Arya is Arya. I think it's pretty clear. I think that would be so kitschy if yeah. it's a, a random person. That would be some Mission Impossible shit. Totally. Yeah. Some face-off shit. Stephanie Chen wants to know, why are Sansa and Sansa and Littlefinger staring at Arya? Well, for me, I'll answer the Littlefinger part. He's staring at her, like, kind of shocked, and he's like, shit, what do I do about this? And only when Arya looks at him is when he smiles. Yeah, he's so all he's, fucked up. So he's contemplating. He's like, oh, fuck, I got to do my fight every battle in my head. Yeah. I know. I think at this point he's so thrown off with that conversation with Bran. Chaos is a ladder. He knows that was a private conversation between him and Varys back in season three. So I think he's trying to figure everything out because he was not expecting this. And it goes against what he told Sansa last week that every scenario has happened before. I mean... I he think could not have predicted this. He scenario. could not have predicted Bran becoming a three-eyed raven, yeah. raven and knowing everything. So, you know, like yeah. Bran, he's analyzing the information. Yeah, he's trying to figure it out, figure out what his next move is. I think at the end of the day, he wants Sansa to be against her siblings. Oh, yeah. So he was trying to do it with Jon. Now he has two more to battle. Let's say Bran is more detached. So, But now that Arya is back, he needs to figure out, how am I going to isolate Sansa from her three siblings. Yep. So I think he has a lot more work to do than what he thought he needed to do with between her and John. All right, Romel Calderon asks, does Jon Snow know anything yet? Uh, yeah, he knows how nice of a heart Daenerys has. Ugh, gross. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, David Handelman asks, which Stark is creepiest now? Well, if John and his auntie get it on, I'm going to say John. <laughs> but he's not a Stark. He is a Stark. He's, He's half Stark. He's Lyanna Stark's son. Name matters a lot. Oh, what are you saying? A woman who gave birth to a child? He like he, he's half Stark. That doesn't matter. Uh, I'm gonna say that Bran is still the creepiest, and he'll always be the creepiest because we'll see. Yeah. We'll see if they could top that, or if John could top his aunt. There okay. you go. Oh gosh. See, this whole entire series is going to just be about incest. I can't, it, I can't help it. <laughs> All right. Carly Hess asks, which is the sicker burn? Drogon lighting up line after line of carts and soldiers or Bran saying to Littlefinger, chaos is the ladder? Ooh. The chaos is the ladder thing was the, the hottest burn that Game of Thrones has had in a long time. Yes. And I go back to just the, that was the directing. Awesome. Like, We've never seen Littlefinger that shook. Shook, yeah. Right? Because he always expects like, every scenario. Like, oh, shit. I did not see this psychic kid in my plans. Yeah, and yeah. I think it was just a simple way to shake him yep. without all of the 
fluff. Well, who knows? Maybe this is what's going to start bringing down, bringing his downfall. He has not expected a, a faceless man. He has not expected Bran as a three-eyed raven. I think so Littlefinger is going to be on tilt right. and like not know what to do. I think Littlefinger has only dealt with more realistic situations. He's never dealt with the supernatural. So I think it's going to be interesting how he figures out how he manipulates the situation when ultimately there's someone more powerful than he is in both mind and capabilities. Scott Roberts asks, do you think that there's a possibility that Danny kills Cersei by the end of this season and that the final season is primarily focused on saving the world from the White Walkers? I think so. I know there's only a three more hours or so left in this in this season, but I that's how I saw the entire two seasons play out. This season, we would see the end of Cersei and Littlefinger, essentially the end of all the bad humans mm-hmm. out there. And then next season would be the focus on White Walkers finally and finally everybody, all the humans reuniting and try to fight this this battle. So. But I know there's only three hours left, yeah. so it's kind of like, okay, how are we going to speed this along? Yeah, Do, I, I don't want it to be sped along, though. I thought through this today, and I was thinking, I don't think Cersei's going to die this season. I don't think King's mm. Landing is going to fall this season. I think as big as the battle against the White Walkers is going to be, I don't see it playing over more than two episodes in terms of battle. Okay. I think, yeah, next season there's six episodes, right? right? And I it think, can't be all about the White Walkers. Two of them can be prepped for the White Walkers fight. I think two of them can be the actual White Walkers battle. Mm-hmm. And then there's another two before that. In the beginning. So, to, the way I see it is um, the end of the season plays out where the White Walkers do whatever they do in East Watch by the Bay. Maybe they win that battle and they start heading down towards King's Landing. That's what the Hound says he saw in episode yeah, one. that's true. And then at the same time in the south or around King's Landing, we don't get to see the end of the battle. Yeah, I feel like I, maybe I this Cersei season... dying next year and I see the kingdom falling next season. I feel like this season I think is definitely going to end with a cliffhanger. Yeah. How they ended it with season five and John's apparent death. So... I think the way that they're telling season seven, season eight is one full season. So 13 episodes. And so essentially the way I watch it is that season seven's kind of like the beginning. And then the season finale is going to be the cliffhanger. And then they're going to conclude in season six. So yeah. out of that 13 shows, yeah. that's how I see it. It's one big season just split into two. Yeah, I do think that... If there's an ending that will be a little bit more concrete this season, maybe we'll at least see like something like Jamie turning against Cersei this season. Finally. To, to like get some kind of conclusion and show, yeah, Cersei's probably going to lose, but it's not completely over. And I don't see Littlefinger making it to the next season. Yeah. I think people... He's pointless I, at this point. Yeah, I think at this point, his motivations and his story... We've been watching it play out for the past six seasons. I think it needs to come to the end. I don't think it's going to translate in the grand scheme of things for next season to have this character still wandering about, still thinking, still manipulating. It's just, it's going to get tiresome. So I think they're going to put an end to that. Yeah. At least. All right. Next question from Bob Red Jones. (laughs) Interesting Uh, name. Not his real name. (laughs) 
Uh, do you think the fellowship would have been better without Boromir? And what's your favorite flavor of Lumbus bread? This is a wrong. This is the wrong podcast. Doesn't matter. We gotta answer it. Um, no way, dude. Boromir is awesome. Good old Sean Bean. Uh, I, he, I think Boromir was a necessity because yeah. that was how Faramir realized that he should let Sam and Frodo go. And it helped Aragorn be, be become who he is. He learned lessons about avoiding temptation. And without Boromir, nobody would have watched the first season of Game of Thrones yeah. because Sean Bean was it's the true. major talent and draw for the first season. So true. Uh, there are no flavors of Lumbus bread, bro. Yeah, on. there's only Get one. Get out of here. All right, Roxy Stone asks, why was Sansa disturbed by Arya's fight with Brienne? Is it because her sister is a stranger to her now, or is it something more sinister like jealousy or fear of losing power? We talked about this before. I thought it was jealousy. I think it's more of a sister as a stranger and realizing that she is truly a murderer. Uh, her husband Ian also wants to know how much longer the opening credits will get before the season ends. I love the opening credits. I love Do watching it every single time. I don't think they change in length. They just adjust, like how long things appear. Well, on Well, it's screen, interesting because right? I was telling you the song's always the same length. They've been showing the same locations. Yeah. Because all of the major characters and plot points have been consolidated. Yeah. So they don't need to show different Additional locations. Places, yeah. So. I love the opening credits. I still watch it every single time. Even yeah. when we do rewatches of episode, I still watch the opening credits. I still hate that there's a Baratheon sigil yep. on King's Landing, and I, I will never understand it. I need to like tweet an you know expert why? on this. It's because uh, Gendry's rowing around <laughs> King's Landing over. So technically, uh, there's still a Baratheon there. Huh. Uh, Rob Spreenberg asks. Does Sansa even want to rule? Has she just been caught up in everyone else's shit that she can't realize that she doesn't have to play? Will she some will she come to remember her one-time dream of being a happy wife, happy life with a night hubby? Will she red wedding John and Danny? <laughs> this is a super dense question. Does she only want to rule because she can feel so she can feel in control after a forever life never being in control? Well, okay, so let me try to tackle this question. I think Sansa wants to rule because I think she knows she's good at it. She's been caught up in everyone else's shit because, hello, she hasn't seen her brother and sister in years. So, yeah, she's a little distracted at the moment trying to figure them out. So she's probably deprioritized whatever game she feels like she needs to play, which I'm, I'm a little... She doesn't even have to play. I know. Right? She doesn't really need to do anything because no one's trying to steal the Stark power anymore. No one... I don't think she's trying to go against John or try to sabotage him in any way, which I thought she was going to do in the beginning of the season. So I, I don't know. I think she's just trying to figure out her brother and sister and then also be aware that Littlefinger has been following her around and then will she come to remember her one time of dream and happy wife happy life i think that old sansa is dead and gone for sure she i don't think she wants a happy wife happy life i think she wants just the success of her family to to go on will she red wedding john and danny god i hope so no (laughs) she got no dragons come on um does she only want to rule so she can feel in control uh, that's a good point. Yeah. Right? She's always wanted to be a lady. Mm-hmm. She's always, whether wanted to be a queen or some kind of royalty. 
And I mean, really, that's all she has going for her. She doesn't yeah. know how to fight. She's got no superpowers. She didn't come back from the dead. She's not queen. She's kind of dumb. So I think her ruling makes her feel in control. And also, yeah. you have to think about her arc, too. The fact that this girl was being tortured and tormented by Ramsey Bolton for a good, you know, yeah. almost a year. It's like she's finally come out of it. So this has finally given her maybe a purpose. A purpose and then finally giving her some redemption that, you know, she got through it. And yeah. she's a she's a lady of Winterfell now. So she's, she's going to use what she learns. And I think, yeah, maybe it does help her feel in control versus sulking and being a weak person. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Hopefully we tackled the question as accurately as we could. <laughs> All right, final question of the segment. Um, Keith Rodenbostel says, how much of a blunder was it to use the the scorpion crossbow i feel like the only way that they would have ever been as effective as an offensive weapon is if they were used by surprise now even if they have hundreds of them Tyrion and danny's team will know to keep an eye out for them they basically are only good as a dragon wall now good i'm happy i'm happy that i mean it was a surprise in that moment when daenerys saw it and drogon got hit but i'm happy that Again, like we said earlier, it wasn't saved for the very last battle and killed one of the dragons. Yeah, it was definitely poor strategy for them to unveil their secret weapon in the middle of an early battle. Well, I mean, it was also an act of desperation. Yeah, because they were essentially getting burned alive. But they brought it with them. They brought it with them as preparation. But what else are they going to do? They literally had nothing else to defend themselves. So, of course, they're going to use it. Of yeah. course, everything that happened in that battle on the Lannister side was desperation, yeah. including Jamie charging at Danny. He knew it was over. He knew that he had nothing else. That was a so suicide might as well mission, do it. Yeah. yeah, it was a suicide mission. So, yeah. I mean, it's kind of human reaction to act in desperation mm-hmm. for survival. Whew. All right, we got through the questions. Thanks, everybody, for submitting. Yep. All right, next segment. The king in the north! The MVP of the episode. And, um... Drum roll, please. There's only one. I I think both Regina and I agreed. Yeah, we actually don't tell each other the MVP of the episode. Until, right right, before we record. Right, and we found out that we both had the same one. I thought I was being really smart. I'm like, oh, it's not a person. It's a dragon. Most valuable dragon was Drogon. Yes. I, I mean, think. who else could be the most? No, totally. He, he totally took an arrow to his shoulder. Burned some shit. Burned some shit, protected his his master, Daenerys, and yeah, won the battle. Like, yeah. without Drogon. Single-handedly. I mean, I think, I think maybe without Drogon, the Dothraki could have taken what was left of the Lannister army, but Drogon definitely added some flame flame to that battle. Yeah, he was lit. So, yeah. Definitely. Congrats. Definitely. First dragon ever to, to win an MVP award. <laughs> I'm sure the previous dragons won plenty of MVP awards. Speaking of dragons, it's time for the final segment of the day Dracaris. The Dragonfire Hot Take of the Day. So, my Dragonfire Hot Take of the Day is John is. Using some Kellyanne Conway strategy when it comes to divert, divert, divert. He's always talking about them White Walkers. Like, I get it, John. 
Lighten you're up. you're 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 really into the White Walkers. We know it's out there. We know they're coming. Winter is here. The Night King. You've seen the Night King. You've seen the Army of the Dead. You've seen what they can do, and they're coming for us. But God, can't you just lighten up for the once? Stop being so creepy in the cave. Talking about the White Walkers. Like for heaven's sakes, Davos was quote talking about Danny's good heart, and then somehow. It came back to the Night King. Like, I, I just, it's its like watching Kellyanne Conway in Medieval Times. Like, I don't get it. What about it. her emails? <laughs> what about Hillary's Benghazi. emails? Benghazi. Benghazi. And it's like, wait, weren't we talking about Trump? <laughs> like, how did this get, it's just, it's like, it's like when I was watching those scenes, I was like, wait, weren't we talking about the children of the forest? Oh, wait. Okay. White Walkers. Oh, wait. Weren't we talking about Daenerys? Oh, okay. Uh, Night White King. Walkers. It's like. Shit, John. Come on. I'm surprised when he choked Theon, he didn't say, the Night King is coming for you. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Divert, divert, divert. We, yeah. we get it, John. We get it. Oh, that's a good one. Um, my hot take is nice and simple. Um, I hate Sansa, and I hope she dies. Uh, she's the most annoying plot left on this show. She is conniving for no reason. She is still involved with Littlefinger. She has no superpowers. Just get the fuck off the show. I think she's conniving to protect her family. She's supposed to be reminiscent of Catelyn Stark. And we all... I hated her, too. I always... I mean, she screwed Rob Stark over by letting Jaime go. Yeah, she let Jaime go. She took Tyrion prisoner to escalate the whole battle. But that was based on Littlefinger's... Yeah, but once that happened, then Ned got in trouble in the in in King's Landing. Well, exactly. So I think she's supposed to be similar to her mother. So she's doing it to protect her family. And at the same time, she's trying to outsmart it. But I agree. I don't know well, what if, she's gonna do if she's still gonna somehow turn against now Arya, John, and maybe Bran. If we if we had this podcast early on, seasons one, two, and three, I would have said the same thing. Fuck. Catelyn Stark, get she's horrible. I hope she dies. Aww. She did die. Poor Catelyn. Um, too bad she just got Rob Stark, the king in the north at the time, killed. So to recap, fuck Sansa. Hope she dies. Ready for her to die. And fuck Catelyn. She was stupid. And that's the end of Rest our show. Rest in peace, Catelyn Stark. No. Always. No. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> All right, that's the end of the show. It's a very sad end to the show. (laughs) Thank you, everyone. It's a hot take. All right, thanks, everybody.